Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. Hello and welcome to Bewilderbeasts. I'm your host, Melissa McHugh-McGrath, in your ear holes for another, well, let's just call this a shorty. See, I wanted to put a little something extra in your feed this week. As some of you might know that we are two days into the Iditarod sled dog race. 48 mushers right now are, are racing across Anchorage to Nome, Alaska. It seemed like a good time to revisit the dogs who saved a town at the end of the world. It was the story of Balto in Togo in the middle of episode 10, recorded back in November of 2020. November seems so far away, but we were heading into winter. Kids were acclimating, or in many cases not, to online learning. My own kid said that we would never see her school or her friends again. The depression and the heaviness of going into last winter was so palpable and so real. And here we are now, four months later, and we're on day 364 of a two-day shutdown. And now there's palpable hope on the horizon with vaccines. Now, we are not out of the woods yet, but my message to kids at the end of this segment still feels very important if your time hasn't come yet to find the things that will make this normal for you. And if you're a parent who's been struggling with this, I see you. And I know how hard this has been. So take a look at the peeps of spring, the beams of sunshine, the teas of 50 degrees. And let's go back to 1925 during another pandemic, one that we got through then, and we will get through this one too. So sit back and enjoy this throwback segment, our story with Balto and Togo, and the story you didn't get from the theatrical releases starts now. I grew up in a little town called Washington, Maine, and my dad had a team of huskies that we would take out for dog sledding runs for fun. See, can you imagine getting off the bus from school and having 10 dogs howling at your return? See, that was my daily reality. And because we were the family with a dog sledding team, everyone asked if I knew of, heard of, or actually knew Balto. If you haven't heard of Balto, that's okay. We're going to talk about him a little bit later. But it's important to know that a dog sledding team is just that, a team. There is no I in team or whatever it is your soccer coach told you. The story I was told when I was a kiddo 
was that there was a dog named Balto who saved the town of Nome, Alaska, from a deadly diphtheria outbreak in 1925. Balto raced against time and got the medicine to a bunch of kids who needed it. But that quick brushstroke of a tale does such a disservice to the full story, which I'm about to tell you now. So tuck in, get some cocoa, or whatever warms your soul, because this story is bonkers. Nome was so far north, just two degrees south of the Arctic Circle. Look on a globe. It's really far north. The port was blocked by ice and was inaccessible from November to July. No ships could get through the dock. So if the thought of running out for emergency toilet paper during this pandemic is a problem now, dot, dot, dot. It's also one of those places on Earth that are so close to one of the poles that they are light for six months of the year and dark for the other six. The only doctor in this northern town was Dr. Welsh, and he noticed the medication for diphtheria had expired, so while he did put in an order for new medication, it did not arrive before the port closed due to ice. Amazon two-day shipping was definitely not an option in 1925. Because this is how things go, there happened to be an outbreak of diphtheria after the port shut down. When a seven-year-old girl presented with symptoms of diphtheria, Dr. Welsh attempted to administer some expired antitoxin to see if it might have any effect, but this girl sadly died a few hours later. Looking back, Dr. Welsh realized the handful of kids who died in late December had very similar symptoms to the girl. Welsh did everything he could, but he had limited resources and no way to get help before the bacteria spread, and this bacteria could spread. Realizing that an epidemic was imminent, Dr. Welsh called the mayor, and a quarantine was necessary and implemented. Sound familiar? The following day, on January 22, 1925, Dr. Welsh sent radio telegrams. Remember, no cell phones, and it's too cold for carrier pigeons, to all other major towns in Alaska and to Washington, D.C., asking for assistance. An epidemic of diphtheria is almost inevitable here. Stop. I am in urgent need of one million units of diphtheria antitoxin. Stop. Mail is only form of transportation. Stop. I have made application to the Commissioner of Health of the Territories for an antitoxin already. Stop. There are about 3,000 white natives in the district. Without the antitoxin, the mortality rate, or death rate, would be close to 100%. This also included the surrounding region's population of about 10,000 people. Nearly everyone who contracted this illness would die. And this was so close on the heels of the 1918-1919 flu that killed 50 million people worldwide, including half, half of the native people of Nome just six years before. A thousand people died in Nome to that flu, and 2,000 died over the entire state of Alaska, mostly natives who were unable to resist the disease. So how are they going to get the medication to Nome? The only way to do this was by dog sled. I mean, experts said the only way to do this was by dog sled. There was one reporter slash publisher, William Thompson, who had what I'm going to say is probably the worst nickname in this story. Wrong font Thompson. <laughs> of the Fairbanks Daily News miner and aircraft advocate who helped line up a pilot and plane. 
But Rong Fan used his paper to write scathing editorials because he wanted airplanes to save the day, not dogs. The Navy, experienced pilots, and the governor all supporting in part due to predicted impossibly bad conditions, a decision to have two fast relay teams of dog-pulled sleds to get the medicine ASAP to the top of the world. But Rong Fan hated this, and while he wasn't an expert... He used his paper to write opinion pieces in support of airplanes, dissing the dog sleds, and wrote venomous pieces against the leadership who was trying to use expert advice to save lives. So, in a sense, it's a tale as old as time. And keep in mind the support. It was to put mushers in harm's way to save the town with everything against them. The pilots could crash and die taking the medicine with them, but the safer option was if one musher fell off a cliff and died of frostbite, no one would ever find them, and other mushers would wait and risk hyperthermia or death also, not knowing their relay was broken. And again, this is the preferred, safer option according to the experts. For starters, it usually took a month for mail to get from Nanena to Nome by dog sled. But the fastest run was run by Leonard Sapala in just nine days. Nine days is an all-out run, Little sleep, dangerous for dogs and mushers alike, but Zapala was an expert in fast dogs in dangerous conditions. And that incredibly fast speed, nine days, still was not fast enough. The medication would not survive the cold for more than six days. Phrases like the temperature had warmed slightly, but at negative 62 degrees Fahrenheit came up frequently in my research. Warming anything to negative 62? Of course it couldn't get worse, right? <laughs> Wrong. Temperatures were at a 20-year low, with temperatures 50 degrees below zero and winds gusting at 25 miles an hour, which swept snow into 10-foot drifts. 10 feet. Remember, that's a basketball hoop. Snow was blowing that high. Travel by sea was hazardous and across the interior of most forms of transportation was shut down. So sure, let's go for a dog sled ride. The dog started on January 27th, 1925, but by January 30th, things were looking bleak in Nome. The disease continued to take lives and spread even with the quarantine in place, so it, it turns out many people got this illness before realizing they had it and had started to spread. By the 30th of January, a Nome reporter said, All hope is in the dogs and their heroic drivers. Nome appears to be a deserted city. Everyone wanted this medicine to get to Nome, but to think that it was just one dog and a jaunty journey on a picturesque snowscape couldn't be further from the truth. I can tell you, running a dog sled is hard work. Often you're running with the dogs in all your gear, big boots, frostbite on your nose, your body might never feel warm again. Wind pushing into your face, it's brutal. And the furthest I ever had to go was five miles, and I could just zip home, watch cartoons, and drink hot cocoa because I was nine. Please keep in mind all of that when we go over just some of the obstacles and parts that you probably never heard about in this impossibly difficult journey. For example, the first musher in the relay team was named Wild Bill Shannon. Because I'm pretty sure everyone was called Wild Bill in 1925. My great-grandmother was probably Wild Bill Grandma. So when Wild Bill arrived to the first checkpoint to hand off the medicine to the second runner in the relay, he had hypothermia and his face was blackened from frostbite. 
three of his dogs died due to the disastrous conditions on the trail, including having to take a slightly longer route because the trail he was on was destroyed by horses. I have no idea what that means. I'm taking their word for it. It's reported the second musher, Edgar Kelland, had to have warm water poured on his hands to remove them as they were frozen to the hold bar of the dog sled. Another musher, Charlie Evans, had to pull the dog sled himself for part of this journey when his dogs got frostbite and could no longer pull the sled. He put the dogs in the basket of his sled, and when he arrived to hand off the antitoxin, he noticed both of his dogs had died due to the conditions. So Balto generally gets credit for saving the town by getting the medicine to the kids of Nome, as he was the lead dog who pulled the sled up to the town and was the first dog the kids, the doctor, the parents, the townsfolk, the natives, they all saw through the snow. And he should absolutely get credit for this. However, keeping these other men and dogs in mind absolutely makes this story significantly more powerful. So back to Balto's 55-mile contribution. 55 miles from my apartment is Providence, Rhode Island. It's about an hour car ride on the highway, and it's way longer than one mile that your gym teacher has probably asked you to run for fitness tests. I have done that drive in blizzarding snow, and it has taken me as much as three and a half to four hours before in terrible conditions in a car with a radio blaring, heat on, and a cup of coffee in the cup holder. 55 miles distance for those not New England is a little more than running back-to-back marathons in the same day. It's a long, unforgiving run in the best of days, let alone in the dead of winter, that close to the North Pole, in the dark. While Balto pulled into the town to save the kids, it was Leonard Sapola. Remember, the guy who did this in nine days in a race, and his trusty dog Togo taking the league in the longest, most dangerous leg of this journey— through ice, through snow, through biting cold, cold so cold it would burn your lungs, over hills, mountains, crevasses that are hidden by snow, so one misstep, and you, your dogs, your team, and the medicine, would fall hundreds of feet to certain death and be buried by snow never to be found. Balto's 55 miles is only a small chunk of this run. Togo? He ran 261 miles. That is almost five times the distance that Balto had led. He also had to travel over 170 miles just to get to the route to carry the medicine and meet his relayer on the trail, all orchestrated without cell phones, texting, or location tracking apps. I'm lost. Not only were the people of Nome dependent on Sapola, his dog Togo, his speed, but they took a dangerous shortcut in a storm that was blowing hurricane-force winds, plunging the temperatures to 85 degrees below zero. Part of their leg included clearing Little McKinley, a mountain over 5,000 feet high. The conditions were so amazingly bad, Sapola couldn't see his hand in front of his face, so he had to trust his dog, Togo, to lead the way to the checkpoints and relay teams en route. The dog navigated ice, cliffs, and did not get lost. He didn't fall into open and deadly stretches of water near the coast, essentially blinded by the wind and snow, and Togo did it. Meanwhile, Dr. Welsh, Noticing the conditions were getting worse, put a hold on the relay. He phoned all the checkpoints to say, please stop, we'd rather get medicine a little late. I can do what I can, but the risk is too high for the mushers, for the dogs, and we could lose all the medicine. 
do not come until this storm passes. But the messages were never received. The lines were dead. So the dogs kept going. By the time Gunnar Kaysen, the last musher of the race with his lead dog Balto, received the antitoxin, the storm was, believe it or not, getting worse. How can it get worse? Well, that's how these stories go. The wind was so severe, and besides not being able to see his wheel dogs, the dogs closest to the sled, Gunnar Kaysen's sled was knocked over by intense wind. He lost the cylinder that had the serum when the dog sled dumped over, so Gunnar Kaysen didn't risk this much. None of the dogs, or the mushers did, none of the dogs died for this, only to lose the antitoxin so close to Nome. So he took off his gloves in negative 70-degree wind, and started to dig in the snow. He found the cylinder, but at a cost. He suffered frostbite on both of his hands, and while Kaysen was supposed to hand off the medicine to one more musher, when he arrived at that checkpoint, miraculously early, even going miles out of his way because they lost the trail and losing the antitoxin, the other musher was asleep, thinking he had more time. So Kaysen, already moving, just kept going, racing to Nome with Balto at the lead, his hands in excruciating pain, and he got there half a day early. This team had six days to get the medicine to Nome. They did it with a half a day to spare against all odds, in hurricane force winds, whiteout conditions, and the worst winter in 20 years, just a few years after a global pandemic wiped out a large population of native Alaskans. The medicine was defrosted and usable by lunchtime thanks to these incredible mushers and the dogs who saved not just a town, but the surrounding regions at the top of the world that are almost always forgotten. When Balto ran to save the kids and the town and the native people, he was eight years old, an experienced dog who would have been considered middle age, and more likely than not would not run a big race again if this were a race and not to save lives. But Togo? When he ran in 1925, he was 12 years old. That's like your grandfather's running marathons in ice in the most brutal conditions on Earth. Huskies live between 12 and 15 years in general, so Togo, at the end of his life, did the hardest and longest leg of the race for mercy. A little bit on Togo. This pup was purchased by the musher, or person who runs a sled dog team, Leonard Sapala. After Togo developed a painful throat condition, Sapala tried to sell him, but the dog refused to go. And when I say he refused, he refused. When Togo was forced to leave, he jumped out of a window of his new owner's house and ran the whole way home to Leonard Sapala. He was a mischievous pup who was an insatiable runner, which was so very necessary to saving the town of Nome a few years later. In 1960, Sapala said, I never had a better dog than Togo. His stamina, his loyalty, his intelligence could not be improved upon. Togo was the best dog that ever traveled the Alaska Trail. Balto had a statue erected in his honor in New York City. Balto's story got a bit sad after the serum run. Movie producers wanted to have the dogs film a reenactment of the race. None of the film, sadly, has survived to today, but Gunnar Kaysen was never paid, and the dogs were expensive to keep. So as a result, Gunnar Kaysen had no choice 
Balto and his team was sold to a dime museum where a man named Kimball heard their story and decided to do something for these dogs. He told the owner of the store that he would buy the dogs for $2,000. That's a ton of money back then. But there was a catch. He only had two weeks to raise this money. So, school children in Cleveland, Ohio, would go around with buckets to collect change, donations, money, whatever they could to help Mr. Kimball buy Balto and the team. There was no Kickstarter. There was no GoFundMe options. There was no internet. But there were newspapers and rumor mills. And the Cleveland Plain Dealer paper stepped up and promoted the effort to save Balto after he saved the people of Nome. Factory workers collected money and hats. Kennel clubs donated money to buy the dogs, but also to have them transported to Ohio, where he and his team lived out their days at the Brookside Zoo, now the Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo. He died at 14 years old in 1933, a great old age for a husky. His body is in the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. Both dogs are heroes, as is every one of those 150 dogs and 20 mushers who ran these teams. These dogs inspired people to get vaccines for illnesses like diphtheria, which, thankfully, due to vaccines, is not something we have to worry about nowadays. And within the decade, bush planes were able to get to northern towns after the ship ports closed, replacing much of the need for long-distance dog sledding for emergency medical transportation. The Iditarod dog sled race from Anchorage to Nome is based on this mercy run, where mushers from all over the globe take their dogs and run to a town two degrees below the North Pole every March. Thanks to climate change, snow has had to be driven in for the start of the race for photo ops and interviews where the traditional start was. Then the dogs are moved further north to start the race officially. So to my daughter, AC, and to our friends who listen... When we parents say, I know COVID quarantine feels like it will never end, know this. Every pandemic has come to an end and things will go back to something like normal. You will get to go outside again. You will get to play with your friends again. You will get to hang out without masks again and go to the museum and the beach. There are smart people, doctors, scientists, and yes, even animals like the horseshoe crab, who we will talk about in another episode who are helping us figure out how to get a vaccine. And we have people who are trying to keep us safe. We also luckily have history to show that with the diphtheria outbreak, the 1919 flu epidemic, the Black Plague, and so many more, all have one thing in common. They ended. And this one will too. So thank you for joining me today for this little bonus, this little shorty, this throwback. I might throw some of these shorties in from time to time, so if there's one story that you would like to hear again as a standalone, hit me up, bewilderbeastpod at gmail.com. Bewilderedpod on Twitter, bewilderbeast on Instagram. I'm Melissa McHugh McGrath, co-training director of the New England Dog Training Club. We are the oldest AKC obedience club in the country. I'm also the author of Considerations for the City Dog and the creator of this very podcast. Yes, this one, the one that you're listening to right now. That's me. So if you like it, tell your friends and share these episodes. They are all at bewilderbeastpod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Sources for today's episode are in the original show notes from episode 10, titled The Dogs Who Saved a Town at the End of the World. And I will see you next week. 
Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up to the minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.